0: Welcome to the latest ATP podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and this week we get the inside track on two Americans both on fire this year, Taylor Fritz and Tommy Paul. We're with two Argentines, Diego Schwartzman and Sebastian Baez. We hear from Matteo Berrettini and more. But first to Spain, where players have been battling it out this week at a new ATP 250 in Gijón. One home favourite, Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, suffered an early exit. He was beaten by Andy Murray, but he still sat down with Ersin Caderas to talk life goals and aspirations.
1: Obviously, to be number one, uh, to win a Grand Slam, but after that, uh, winning… I a mean, big goals. Yeah. Winning, <laughs> like in Spain, at yeah. home, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's 250 or 500 or 1,000, and to play someday in the center Pom Monte Carlo. That one's and that one is wh- ticked. Yes. That one I did it. <laughs> Your coach described you as a volcano. <laughs> more I'm more like tsunami, but he described more a volcano.
2: <laughs> Why you tsunami?
1: Because and I have tattoo with 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 a tsunami because my mentality is like where I go, I have to erase it. Like everything has Wipe to go down. Yeah. Okay. Then he calls it like a volcano because he he knows that I have a lot of energy inside me. And I didn't know how to control that energy because I have like some holes sometimes to go somewhere, there, there, then and just not to focus on one line. And now it's like the volcano is going to one line, you know. But you are a very emotional player. Yeah, a lot, you know, because I feel it, the tennis, a lot. I feel every point, every game, every, every, you know, everything. Then for me, it's like every point that I win, every point that I lose, I I feel it myself, then, yeah.
3: Do you get overexcited on the court?
1: Before, yes. Now I have to control it
3: because you give
1: a lot of things to the opponent, you know, a lot of message to the opponent that maybe you are now more more anxious, more nervous, more, you know. Now you have to be like one line to keep calm yeah, and just to focus on every point. That's it.
2: And you think you're succeeding at that to keep well, everything in Well,
1: one? I started in Monte Carlo. Then for, from
3: the moment, it's good. It's good. It's going well. Very good, and just one more. Um, the ascent of, of Carlos Alcaraz. Does that give you extra motivation? Uh, you've got someone from your own country that does.
1: Well, that. obviously, every player has own goals, and I have my my things, my career. He has own career. Then what he's doing is like a motivation for me, obviously, because you know, if he's doing that, maybe I can do what he's doing. Not on the same age because he's younger, but you know, someday I want to play against him. He's a great guy and very good player, and you know, to see where what what is left to be there like him.
0: Uršin with Alejandro Davidovich for Kina, and while the Spaniard is looking to rediscover the winning feeling, one man who's had a 2022 to remember is Taylor Fritz. The title in Tokyo last week was his third of the year following wins in Eastbourne and, the big one, in Indian Wells, and it took him to a career-high number eight in the world. He puts a lot of his improvement down to being more physically robust and now travels with former player-turned-physio Wolfgang Oswald, who recently spoke with Candy Reid. I
4: actually thought I wanted to go straight on tour and be a physio on tour, And I actually got involved in triathlon and cycling and actually kind of went away from tennis for about 13 years and then started playing again and, uh, kind of got the spark again. And then it just kind of fell into my lap. I was working with some tennis academies and, uh, Jack Socks physio was in town. He said, Hey, would you ever have any interest in joining the tour? And, uh, a year goes by and I get a call on a Saturday and they're like, can you be in Asia on Wednesday (laughs) for Taylor Fritz? He wants to do a trial period. And I got there Thursday. I couldn't quite get out of the clinic that quickly. And, uh, and we did the fall. And, yeah, he offered me the position for the next year. And I've been with him ever since.
5: And what year was that that you That was
4: end of 2017.
5: Okay, so it's been yeah. five years now. Yes, yes. And how has Taylor progressed <clears throat> in a physical
4: sense? Oh, he's become a lot stronger. Uh, that's helped his movement, um, more resilient, you know. Um, still a work in progress, but he's, he's improving every year, which is great.
5: And we're seeing it's more and more common for the top players to start traveling with a full-time
4: physio. Almost all of them do now. You know, it used to be a luxury where just the top two or three guys. Now you might be at a disadvantage if you're not, so to speak. So kind of everyone's trying to do the marginal gain thing. So if you're one of the few (laughs) people that doesn't. Now there's ATP physios. They just don't have the time to spend as much time with each guy you know it's maybe work on your shoulder uh, do something but they can't get an hour and a half in every day so if you have your own physio then you can do an hour and a half in the evening as your treatment
5: so describe a typical day when you're at a tournament with taylor
4: so it depends if we're practicing once or twice but let's go just a regular match day you know we'll be on the table for about an hour i'll stretch him out and work on some soft tissue stuff maybe stuff that's bugging him from the day before we'll do 30 minutes of active then in the gym Mm -hmm. Uh, then he'll have his hit uh, and then, uh, at the end of the day, we'll do hour to an hour and a half, depending on how long the matches were, how beat up, you know, how long in, into the tournament it is. Um, so it's, it's quite a few hours of being, you know, and then if it's a training day, you also got to add some gym in there. Uh, we try to not do, to a heavy gym session, like two days out from an event. But before that we might, we might practice twice and do gym and all those treatment sessions. So those are long days.
5: And then Michael Russell is obviously Taylor's travelling coach, so you and Michael have a a good collaboration, lots of communication between you two to see how you can get the best out of Taylor.
4: Yeah, the whole team, like uh, Paul Anacone also, we all have the same goal, the same... We all feed off of each other, hey, I need this, and and it works out really, really well. Um, We're really lucky to have such a good good team and and we talk everything over and it's it's great
5: and taylor is um very tall isn't he and quite a slim person how is he bulked up and how much can he bulk up or what does he need to do physically in the future to get even better
4: (coughs) yeah he he has a hyper mobile body so he's very flexible so those type athletes need more stability and strength right so we try to kind of focus on that um and any problem areas and and um it's a little bit of a it's a linear movement with some some other variations. So it's, it's, it's complicated, but um, it's hard to do it all at once as a tennis player because you're still a tennis player. You still have to practice. You still have to be better on court. So you ha- kind of have to trickle things in over a few years. So that's kind of...
5: About and are you learning every day? Because obviously you have great knowledge, but everybody is slightly different, and Taylor's body is different from O'Reilly or Pelka.
4: Yeah, so you learn how somebody responds to a treatment modality or to a technique. Uh, what might work for one player, like riley or Pelka, is the opposite. He's very stiff, so he's completely different treatment sessions. Right. So yes, uh, what might work for one athlete feels great, and the other one it, it irritates them. So sometimes you just have to kind of learn that body. And that's why I think there's not a lot of turnover when you look at physios on tour because once the player's comfortable knowing that, that person knows their body, it's kind of tough to kind of bring someone else in and it takes a little bit of a learning curve. So you see physios usually with players for a very long time. There's not usually a lot of turnover.
5: And you work with Riley Pelker as well?
4: Yes, yes. And I've worked with uh, Mackenzie McDonald and, 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 and Tommy Paul also and a few other guys on and off. But those are the two guys I work with mainly yeah
5: and do you enjoy the travelling life yeah I'm a tennis
4: junkie so <laughs> when I'm not you know here I'm playing tennis myself or I try to sneak in a tournament or I'm practicing um, and I watch tennis I'm a tennis nut and I love travelling and so yeah it's it's perfect job for me
5: as an Aussie is your favourite <clears throat> surface grass
4: yes to play on but I love clay it's oh. just more of a chess match and there's a little bit more thinking although now the, the surface has become more homogenous and it's more the same so but I don't know. There's something about clay. I don't know. That just um. And
5: you speak Spanish, so you've
4: obviously got clay roots...
5: Yes, that's true. <laughs> but I, I'm
4: terrible. I have no patience to play on clay. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't take Taylor on once in a while. I, I I've warmed him up for a few matches, and we hit every once in a while. Yeah. So Do you get
5: I, a little bit nervous when you step on court no, for the first actually, time. Actually, no, <laughs> no, I
4: don't get nervous hitting with him. I get more nervous hitting at a club match. This you know? <laughs> is weird.
5: Well, because the other club people know you hit with Taylor Fritz, so <laughs> maybe, they have maybe big I have expectations. Low expectations against <laughs> with Taylor. So no, it's fun. Final question: What's your favorite tournament?
4: I think. I've been asked that before, just casually from friends. I think it's it's like asking someone like their favorite song. It depends on the mood. Like there's something about each like venue wise that that court in rome that court one with all the statues yeah yeah, just has something and then wimbledon it's just like you just walk in there and you just feel this vibe that you don't feel at other slams but then the french everyone dresses well and it's kind of i love the vibe at the french u.s opens very kind of hustle bustle and and, but you're in new york city and manhattan and obviously being australian i love (laughs) Australia. so i there's no favorite depends on the mood They're, they're all special i think
0: from the physical side of the game, now to the mental aspect, and another American player Wolfgang Oswald has worked with in the past. I'm Tommy Paul, and this is my mentality. That's a very, very good set of tennis from Tommy Paul. He made a real jump last year.
6: I would say my mentality is pretty locked in when I'm on the court, you know, I'm trying to not look around too much and have a, an aggressive mentality out there.
0: It's a brilliant game from Tommy Paul.
6: I think it's just, it, it comes from coaching in general. I mean, I've had a lot of good coaches and they've they've coached me into that mentality. I haven't always had it.
0: It's another beautiful evening in Acapulco. And an impressive beginning to Tommy Paul who would love to be able to be the top 10 player for the first
6: time. For me mentally, Um, I'd say the biggest thing I've had to overcome is just, like, lapse in focusing. It's taken Tommy Paul to get himself in this position. You know, just staying locked in. I mean, that's been the biggest thing for for a while.
0: Fantastic from Tommy Paul. And he thoroughly deserved that victory.
6: I mean, anytime you're playing on centre court or night session or Somewhere where there's a packed crowd, um, the pressure rises, but I mean it's also more fun. So I feel like all the matches that are the most fun come with a lot more pressure. I mean it's exciting. The the pressure is a good thing, you know. it's. Uh, there's a lot of famous quotes about pressure being a, a privilege, and I mean it really is. If you're playing just for fun, you're not going to feel pressure. But if you're playing because you want it, like the pressure is going to be there, and it's a good thing to have. A
0: powerful performance from Tommy Paul for the biggest win of the 24-year-old's career.
6: Growing up with Taylor Riley, Francis, all the young Americans was, I mean, it was amazing. We played each other at almost every level of tennis, and I mean, it's been an honor growing up with them. we were younger, I mean there was a lot of talk about how American tennis has been falling off and we need a new wave to come in and replace them.
4: And first
6: we all scout for each other, we all support each other and it's been great uh, coming up the game with these guys, like so happy we got to do it together,
0: you know. Four Americans, young Americans, are all pushing each other. Tommy Paul, then there was a Pelker, a TFO, I mentioned Taylor Yogi. Fritz.
6: Winning my first title in Stockholm was a relief, but more motivation.
0: It's a first to a final appearance for Tommy Paul. That's an incredible pass, and try as he might. He's done it. What a triumph for the American. What a week he has had. And he's capped it off with the championship. His first ever Tour title and winning it in style.
6: You know, it was the end of the season, so I had a lot of time to go back and and continue working on whatever I was working on at the time. I, I would say it was just really motivational for me. I was super excited to play.
7: Tommy Paul up against the number two seed, Carlos Alcaraz, to start off what should be
0: a fabulous day's tennis. Oh my goodness, what a point that was. I'm
6: looking for another title, obviously. Like, I want to win every match I play, I always say that. It's probably corny or whatever, but it's true. Like, every time I step on the court, I feel like I can win and I want to win. So that's my goal and I want to be more consistent. I made a lot of quarterfinals this
0: year, but I want to make pushes deeper in tournaments. And it was an eighth quarterfinal exit of 2022 in Gijón this week, but that same level of consistency now has him firmly established as a top 30 player. Another player knocking on the door of the world's top 30 is Argentina's Sebastian Baez. He started the year at 99 in the Pepperstone ATP rankings, so it's fair to say 2022 has been a breakthrough, as he told Jill Krabus.
8: The last year I play a lot of challengers. I tried to, to play ATP, but with the with the rank was too hard. I play a lot of tournaments, and the last month of the year I can be inside the top 100 with a lot of points and... I think the level was too similar, so I think that's that was the the key to to jump to to another another level, and to to try to to be better in the le- little things on the on the job outside the court, inside the court with the with the recoveries, uh, we try to to do the little things better than before, and now, of course. I want to, to be better, but I have a lot of tournaments. I'm so young too. So I, I happy to, to be here and, and I want more of course.
9: Could, could you give us maybe some examples of what those little things are that were so important for you?
8: Uh, for example, the times to be in that time in one place to be before that time, for example, if you have Physical training at eight in the morning. I want to be there seven fifty. Practice before uh, will ready to to everything. Think about it, like to have all with good organization. Try to be professional in all the things, and after that, the result was. I don't know. You you can control. You control the your body your things and, and your team, of course.
9: And you mentioned the Challengers in particular, because that was a time where the tour had stopped a little bit, so a lot of those top players were playing more of the Challengers. Did you feel like that made that transition to the bigger events easier?
8: Yeah, I mean, the Challengers was a good step to to be after on the ATP. I'm happy to, to have challenger in South America because for us it's a big chance to play because we have a big difference with the USA players or with the European players because we have tournaments all the time in the year and we have just little bit tournaments. And in one, two months, in one year it's nothing. But the last year was I think was the best thing to to use in South America and and Today have a lot of players from South America on the, I don't know, top 300 maybe. Have a lot of players, and and that was a little bit uh, key for for that step to to be more.
9: I, I want to mention a South American player that's had a big impact on you as well from your home country, of course, Del Potro. He's mentoring you now. What what along with your coach of course, yeah. what what do you feel like has been the, the biggest help between your coach and Del Potro?
8: Del Potro was a big inspiration for me because he was he is too big in our sport. Uh, he always, we spoke with, with my coach, he always is obsessional with the with the job, with, to do everything perfect. And I think all the best players are a little bit crazy <laughs> with with our things and I think that is important to the time, to to the job and to do everything a little bit more perfect than yesterday and every time try to, to do all the things as better they can and I think that's that's a different to the other players
9: you're making me want to ask what what's crazy about you? You seem very calm, <laughs> uh,
8: yeah, yeah, but every every time I try to be a little bit more crazy than yesterday, but it's hard because uh, I don't know I'm too young, so I have to learn a lot of things. I hope to have a big career or a long career, but I'm happy with all the things i uh, I do, and of course I want to to do some things more, but I try to be just focused on my things today and
0: and to be happy with that. Sebastian Baez with Jill Krabus, and from one five foot seven Argentine with plenty of youth on his side, to another with a little more experience on his at the grand old age of 30. How much does Diego Schwartzman know about his own career? ATP uncovered went to find out. From Argentina, Diego Schwartzman. How well
10: is your memory? Not sure, let's see. I think uh, my career is good. All right, let's, let's see how well you remember things. Who how did you get your first win on the ATP Tour against? Uh, Bellucci, 2013 in Buenos Aires. Easy one. Hometown tournament. Too easy to start an yeah. <laughs> Where did you
2: play your first ATP Tour match?
10: Uh, Viña del Mar. Yeah. Against uh, Ceballos. I won the first set, yeah. Then I lost,
2: yeah.
4: Do you remember what year? Uh,
10: Twenty... No, 2013, yeah, 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 same year. Just the week before Buenos Aires, yeah. It's all happening <laughs> Yeah, it was a good uh, clay season in South America, yeah.
2: Who was your first top ten win?
10: Zilich, US Open. No? No! Maybe Dominic. Dominic? But I don't remember where. Clay? No, no, Montreal? Montreal, yeah. Go for the year? 2017. Spot on. Yeah? What tournament did you win your first ATM title Iowa? Uh, Istanbul against uh, Grigor. The year? Uh, 2016. It was very nice. I mean, I didn't expect it It was my first final. It was very nice for me.
0: When did you first beat Rafael Madal?
10: First and only in Rome. (laughs) Yeah.
4: He's done it. Diego Schwarzman conjures up a memorable win in the Eternal City.
0: What
10: was that feeling like? Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, also, many times I felt great on court, having chances against him, but uh, at the end, he's always winning, so winning against him was very special. What year
0: did you play the Nico final? Uh,
10: 2020,
0: yeah. Diego bursts into life. When did you
2: first play
10: Roger Federer? Uh, Roland Garros. I played against him second round 2014, Roland Garros. Yeah, trying to you It was a good match. I mean, I, I think at the beginning of my career playing ATP uh, Tour, the first tournaments I, I did, I played against Rafa, Rocher, Novak very soon, you know? But uh, some guys at that time said to me, you don't have luck, you are playing good, but playing against these guys, difficult to win the first time. But that uh, I think uh, it was great to play. Against them on court at the beginning of my career on ATP tour, yeah.
4: What year did you win
10: Buenos Aires? Last year,
2: 2021.
10: <laughs> what was it like to win your title on home soil? Unbelievable. I, I, if I have to choose one of the four I, I won. Uh, that's the one. First time winning a title in Argentina after too many years without an Argentinian winning. It was it was very special for me, for the organization, for the people there, yeah. Who did you beat for your 200th victory on tour? This one, no idea. No, no idea. Close by. Against Casper, Indian Wells? Ah, what? but it was October, Indian Wells. Yeah, October Indian Wells.
0: That guy over there, <laughs> Hopefully you were able to make out some of those questions. Diego Schwartzman, always good value. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Podcast. While Diego is now probably out of contention for the season-ending NITO ATP finals, Italy's Matteo Berrettini is one of a clutch of players still with an outside chance. Having retired injured at the event in Turin last year, he is desperate to get back there on home soil and has been talking with ATP Uncovered about what it took to book his place 12 months ago.
6: All right, we'll talk through a few of them real quick. You started in
2: Australia, ATP Cup, made the final there with Team Italy. What is it like playing with your countrymates there?
3: Yeah, it was a really special event. Um, It was really nice. The first time that I played ATP Cup, we reached the finals, Uh, had a lot of fun with my teammates. Uh, Tough finals, but, you know, um, yeah, great event, and it was actually the first event that we played in front of a crowd, you know, after 2020, so it was really nice, yeah. First title of the year? Yeah, first title of the year, Belgrade. Um, a really nice tournament, uh, went, went there after, like, my, my injury in my abs, so I uh, really wanted to, you know, like, to play a good tournament, and I won it.
0: It's Berettini Brilliance that does it in Belgrade.
3: <laughs> it was a great week, uh, great finals as well, 7-6 in the third against Aslan, so great memories, yeah.
2: We can visit Rome for a second.
3: Obviously, a special tournament that is always in my heart. Uh, I was born there, raised there, um, probably one of the reasons why I'm playing tennis is because I, I was watching that tournament when I was a kid. Um, nice memories. I think I reached the third round, lost against Stefanos, but great atmosphere and cannot wait to come back. Let's go to maybe your favorite city of the year, London. Wow, it was an intense month, month I would say. Um, I remember going straight from Paris to London and, and just figuring out that I was playing really good on grass. Winning the Queens and then reaching the finals in Wimbledon. It changed my career, my life. And that year is always going to be you know, like stuck in my head. I mean after I lost the finals I went to see the, the boys the football team that won the Euro Cup so it was really a really nice memory as well. Uh, yeah London is a fun city. Uh, I love to be there.
2: We can go to Boston for Labour Cup.
3: Yep. Yeah, first year in Labour Cup, unbelievable atmosphere, uh, the TT Garden. Um, also a huge NBA fan as you can see. Uh, so <laughs> So it was really nice for me to be there uh, with great like players. Uh, you don't, we don't have like the chance to play in a team in a competition so often. So I really enjoyed it, and yeah, a great event. Last one of these for you. Let's visit Turin. The, the tournament didn't go in the way I wanted, but the fact that I qualified and the fact that. A lot of people came to watch. I think it just shows how big like tennis is right now in Italy, and makes us proud. You know, like uh, happy uh, to have like one of the biggest ADP event there, and really like trying to get there again this year. But it uh, was a great memory. Like I remember, a lot of people came to support me and watch me. So just I was really happy to be there.
4: That's a wrap.
0: Finally, this week for something. A bit different. Ahead of qualifying getting underway in Basel later this week, Chris Bowers went to meet one of the rising stars of Swiss tennis, Alexander Richard. With a father who played for the national team and an uncle also involved as a top administrator, a career in tennis always looked likely. But one day, his hopes very nearly came crashing down as he found himself moments away from losing his arm. It was a very strange situation. I was in the gym, I was working
2: out, and then I felt a kind of a, a sting in my shoulder, and I was like, maybe I pulled a muscle. And then it turned out to be this huge deal where my artery clogged up and no more blood flowed to my arm. It was just a big, crazy, crazy couple months there. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to play. Definitely unsure um, because I have, like, a, a stent in my in the main artery uh, to kind of keep it open so that blood flows through and that um yeah I mean I, I couldn't train more than 90 minutes after the surgery so I wasn't you know uh, I was like I don't think I can go professionally training 90 at 90 minutes a day yeah <laughs> how old were you when this happened I think I was 22 at the time this was 2000 my second year I think no my third year yeah. in, in Virginia in Virginia yeah I think I was around 23 yeah 22 23
7: and you had one operation that didn't work, is that right?
2: Uh, so I had a total of three, um, once just to get the artery open, the second one to kind of remove the problem which was the rib that was too tight and then I, my lungs kind of just
7: filled with blood and I had to pump that, the blood out and that was that. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's easy shorthand to say that the arm was nearly amputated but how close did you come to losing the arm? Um, I mean, I can only go by what they told me. They said they
2: they had to make the decision within the next five minutes, and it was not opening. And then I guess I, I got lucky, and it opened, and the blood started flowing again. So.
7: so that was the operation where they put the stent in?
2: That was the operation, the first one, where they just made sure to kind of open up the artery so that I, my arm could receive blood.
7: How much were you aware of all this, or did you only find out afterwards?
2: There were some signs early on I I couldn't stretch my right arm over my head properly and my left arm was fine and and, uh, that was a sign but we never thought anything of it but that was just the first rib pushing down on my arm and so yeah so there were some signs we just didn't we never thought it would be what it was.
7: Did you ever have to make any decisions medically with your tennis career in mind?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, they they wanted me not to play tennis for the first year and a half kind of to just let the stent do its thing and kind of integrate it into my body. Yeah, and I and that meant just not practicing more than an hour or 90 minutes and it's tough to get anywhere in life with 90 minutes. So, uh yeah, it was it was a difficult time. So, how long did it take before you could practice decent amounts? Um, I would say After about a year and a half, I I went into the doctor and and they said everything looks great, it's been healing great, and that I could do, you know, whatever I wanted to do, basically, and and that's when I kind of started picking it up.
7: Seven years on from that, you're playing Grand Slam main draw matches. Would you have looked back at that time and thought, no way? Yeah, no chance.
2: I I was thinking about quitting right after college because I was like telling my parents I can't, I can't do more than 90 minutes, this doesn't make sense. Um, but then I kind of stuck to it because I felt like I invested my whole life into this and it would be too too quick to just give up, so here, I, here we are.
7: And is it as a result of just the hard work, or did you have to do extra stuff because you had to make sure that the arm wouldn't go bad again?
2: Um, at first I was just being careful, but as soon as they told me, like, everything's fine, you can, you can do your things, then I just... Yeah, I just went to town,
7: basically. And how long was it before they said you just go to town?
2: Yeah, about a year and a half. They, they said, okay, now it looks good and you you should be normal.
7: You're talking very casually about this. I mean, I find it inspirational that you've come through this. Does that ever occur to you? Yeah, it's
2: it was so strange. It was just such a strange thing that happened to me, and, and it was so dreadful, but... I just kind of look back at it and and yeah kind of forget about it i guess i don't know it's it's strange it's just very i try not to think about it too much i i i don't like talking about it too much either because i don't want to seem like it's you know you know like that's the reason why i'm not playing good or something like that but um it yeah i mean it happened it's over and now i'm moving forward
0: and for the full interview with Alexander Richart, head to our podcast channel where you can find all of our other exclusive chats. That is it for this week. We'll be back next week looking ahead to a very busy spell of tournaments as players in both the singles and doubles vie to clinch those final places at the season-ending NITO ATP Finals. It's all set to be another dramatic end to the season. I'm Seb Lozier. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis we